Hi, I'm Marilyn Dennis. This is Marilyn Dennis Does a Podcast. This episode, I'll be chatting with comedian, actor, and television host, Howie Mandel, about a CTV documentary, Howie Mandel, but enough about me. Told through Howie's own voice, we get to see Howie's extraordinary journey of how he got to where he is today, his painful struggles with mental illness, and how he has managed to cope while maintaining a relentless pace in his personal and professional life. Okay, looking forward to talking with Howie Mandel. Thank you. Thank you. Please, that's too much. Hey, I want to tell you something. When you co-hosted the show with me, it's like a year ago, November. You right. were talking about this uh, documentary being in the works. Um, and I didn't get a feel of if you were nervous about it or you, I, I knew you were excited about it. But I've just, I've, 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 I got to tell you, it's so good, Howie. I, it's, a, it's a laugh every other minute. Um, it's just delightful. It's, 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 it feels like you are with Howie Mandel going back to high school, with Howie Mandel being afraid to be going up on stage. It's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. It was, uh, you know, uh, as I told you when I uh, co-hosted with you, first of all, when uh, Barry called me, Barry Average called me and said they were interested in doing a documentary, th that alone uh, was uh, like a gift, you know, because uh, yeah. what better honor than to have a documentary? Well, not everybody who has a documentary made about him is an honor. I mean, it, but this happened to be an honor and they were doing the Howie Mandel documentary. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I'm perfect for this. Can I be in it? And uh, they were nice enough to allow me to be in it. And uh, I'm just thrilled. And I'm not only thrilled that they, that they kind of uh, took their time and effort and money and made a documentary about me, but more importantly, that it, it's a Canadian, you know, uh, that they did it in Canada. Yeah. I've always, that, you know, that's my home and I've celebrated being Canadian. There's nothing I do that doesn't mention the fact that where, where I come from and what my roots are, and that's where I started. And I think we talked about the fact that, you know, for, I've always, I resented the fact that I had to move to California to go pay my rent and any opportunity I have, even if it's just uh, a call or to do a show even like this, to do anything in Canada, I will jump at that opportunity. And for Canada to honor me with a documentary and to, you know, kind of help me tell a, a, a story is just uh, above and beyond anything that I can explain. Well, it's amazing. I, I have to laugh because uh, when I first met you, it's only a couple of years ago, you said to me, and in a nice way, how come I'm never on your show? And you know why I, I thought he would never want to do this show? Uh, it's, 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 it's not like it's past you, but it's, I just didn't think that was a, a thing and you have done it more than once. And I, I'm so appreciative of it. You know, when this pandemic is over, you're going to co-host it with me. Go ahead. Go. I would love, I would love to, go. I would love to. I'm just saying, you know, as a, if, if you watch my documentary, you know, as a kid, I didn't have a lot of friends and, you know, I acted out to get attention. It turned into a career. Everything I've ever been punished for, expelled for, you know, or gotten in trouble for is what I get paid for today. So the, the truth of the matter is I'm, I'm thrilled to be asked to show up anywhere that anybody would invite me to anything and have any interest in anything that I have to say still to this day in my mid sixties really excites me. It's something that I missed out on as a as a young person and I nobody's more thrilled excited and surprised than me that even at this age after all these years 
somebody would call me and want to talk to me or show up and see me do act like a, a silly person, you know, and, and I, I feel like the luckiest guy on earth, even in the midst, in the midst of this uh, global upheaval. And, and the, the truth is that, you know, the irony was that when they decided to do it and not when they started, but in the midst of the documentary, we ended up with the a world pandemic, you know, you're doing a documentary on a, a world-renowned germaphobe, and then there's a, a pandemic. Nothing wow. is more, it, it seems like a joke. Well, you said to me, I was ahead of the curve, Marilyn, last time I talked to you. Yeah, it's not a curve I want to be ahead of, and I, I take no solace no. In, in, you know, uh, misery is not really enjoying company. You know, there was something no. to be said for the fact that you know, this is the nightmare I live every uh, waking moment of my life, you know, as far as being a germaphobe and OCD and all the other things that we talked to in the past. But it was also comforting mm -hmm. to go out and go, Howie, don't worry. Everybody here is is OK. This is just, you know, I know. And, and everybody. But now you walk out into the world and they go, well, you should be at home, you know, and everybody's as worried as I was. So it's kind of a, a miserable time, but uh, maybe a little... Uh, respite is this uh documentary from what's going on in the news and what's going on in your life you know sit and watch yeah. this goofy little haphazard little <laughs> journey that i'm still on i have to tell you howie from the get-go you start laughing at this uh the stories the jokes that you told the the uh up to no good things that you did in high school I love the fact that uh, your parents love to laugh, and that was very much a part of, they're laughing at this, what are they laughing at? Uh, parents have such a big uh, influence on kids. Um, and, uh, you know, it almost feels like you had no fear. Well, you know, in, in hindsight, yes, I have no fear and I'm a risk taker, but the truth is that that connotates thought. You know, I, I do things, and, and part of it is, is what I've been, you know, part of my diagnosis of ADHD and some of the things that I, I suffer from, that is a side effect that mm -hmm. I, I will do things without any thought or any ramifications in, you know, in mind. So, you know, I kind of, if I have an idea like a four-year-old in the spur of the moment, I go, okay, let's do this. And then... You know, as luck would have it, it turns out to be, uh, you know, it's not something that I planned, but it turned out to work in my favor because opportunity does present itself and I just jump at it. Those opportunities could also be incredibly embarrassing and, you know, uh, set me back. But, you know, if they did mm -hmm. that, then, you know, there are philosophies that say, you know, then from my mistakes, I learned even more and I became even stronger. But the truth is, I don't think I do most things without thought this conversation and this answer is without thought and I don't know where I'm rambling to, but that's the way I operate. And, you know, as luck would have it, it's worked out in my favor and it's become kind of a philosophy that I've passed on to my children and that, and it's, it's not my philosophy. It's Nike's philosophy. It's just do it, you know, and just, I just do it and I don't think about it. And, and I have been equally as embarrassed as uh, I've been equal, as much as I've had success, I've also had my mm -hmm. and continue to have my share of, uh, you know, embarrassments and failures and, you know, uh, wrong turns. And that continues. And the only way that won't continue is if you stop. And I have no intention of stopping. 
and uh, because that would take some thought and I don't want to give thought to anything. And thought has been mm -hmm. my downfall. You know, my whole life has just been about trying to distract myself and make myself laugh and, and, and be silly so that I don't have to face whatever's going on inside. So it's worked out for me. But uh, and I feel pretty it's lucky. It's worked and, out. Uh, yeah. I hope people are entertained by it and, uh, you know, and enjoy and escape for, you know, how, how long is it? Is it 90 minutes? Something like that. Something like yeah. that. Not long enough. How about that for an answer? Not well. Long then enough. leave them wanting more. I love um, that. Thank you. Yeah. So when you when you walked uh, when you went back home and looked at your old home and went to your old school and um, you know did you have a better understanding of the kid that Howie Mandel happened to be back in the day? Um, that sort of thing. You know. That, oh, I wish you would have. Told I don't know what's going uh, there and visiting those places. I don't know if going to those places gave me a better understanding. I uh, I understand full well who Howie Mandel was yeah. and is. Yeah. Uh, that's my problem. You know, my problem is that, you know, and, and I always think that, that that's the problem with the world. We, we can't focus on ourselves and think about ourselves. And I, I think that if we if we take our energy and we focus outside of ourselves, this will be a better place. So going back to those places yeah. as I did was eye opening in the sense that, oh my God, this is not, you know, as time goes on and the older we get, the more our past doesn't seem like it was real. It's, it's just a memory. So walking into those buildings mm -hmm. going, oh my God, this was a real moment of terror, of excitement, of embarrassment and it happened right here this is real so kind of uh I, I don't know you know makes whatever my memories are even more real and more vivid and more scary and more exciting it's just it really stirred up yeah. you know it just stirred me up you know going to all those places well i'll tell you what it we we go on this journey with you uh this adventure with you and I like I'm listening to the narrative and seeing you walk the halls, for example, and I'm just waiting for people to notice that it's you and how they receive you with such warmth. And they're so excited that you're there. And I think that speaks volumes. Well, anybody who, you know, anytime I can get a uh, if I could walk into any place or show up someplace or appear someplace and somebody smiles and just wants to say hello and welcome, you have no idea how juxtaposed a position that is to my upbringing because in these halls of these schools nobody was excited to see me show up i was somewhat of a pariah <laughs> you know that that silliness yeah. was not you know accepted as talent it was accepted as immature and a spectacle and get away from me and he's yeah. so embarrassing so that if i if anybody ever made eye contact with me in my past in my youth it was always with an eye roll and a walk away and you know, it, so it's so nice to uh, be recognized, but even more than being recognized, accepted and, you know, m maybe just enjoyed for a moment. You know, that's all I want out of life is just the people not to uh, feel bad that I'm in the same room as them. <laughs> well, at this point, I don't you want to be in the same room as anybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The importance of coping mechanisms is to uh, talk openly and laughing is the best medicine. Yeah, for me, you know, and that's why I'm part of Bell Let's yeah. Talk and that's how, how we met is, you know, my, my life became much richer once I started talking about beyond, you know, having some success 
in my business and doing what I liked. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the fact that people know about my mental health problems, I realized that I'm not alone. And that, it was the biggest accepting and warmth that I felt where people kind of can relate and we're all in this together mm -hmm. and you could talk about it and we can work together on removing the stigma. And my silliness and my career and everything that I do is my coping skill. It's my way to distract myself and stay busy and make myself laugh. It's my panacea. If I'm not laughing, I promise you I'd be crying. And, and the thing is that, you know, I just try to distract. And first and foremost, I try to distract myself so that I can cope. But if I'm doing anything right, hopefully for a moment, somebody who's watching me is yeah. distracted from whatever pain that they are enduring. Uh, so many things in this documentary, honestly, it's so enjoyable, um, to, to watch and, uh, see the trajectory that you were on. I, 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 because you and I are about the same age, you know, hearing about candid camera and what you took away from that, you actually got to meet Merv Griffin, which is like an idol of mine, uh, and, and was on late night talk shows. I mean, the comedy club, uh, wow. Let's start about, let's, let's talk about Johnny Carson. What was that like for you? Surreal. Uh, you know, everything I do seems surreal. But, you know, I was just a kid living in Toronto, you know, with no connection whatsoever to show business. And uh, for those of you who are our age, you know, Johnny Carson was a staple. It was a thing. It was on every night. If something happened on the Johnny Carson show, everybody was talking about it the next day. You know, he was the, the predecessor, you know, he, he was uh, the precursor to that was the uh, Ed Sullivan show, you know, everybody knew when the Beatles came out and everybody knew when Elvis came out. And then after the, that was gone, Johnny Carson, if somebody showed up one night, then they were a, a household name the next day. But even beyond right. that, it was just right. that music and everything was iconic. So to be this, this goofball from Toronto, from the suburbs of Toronto with no aspiration to ever be in show business or to even be in a school play, when I'm sitting there on the couch, with no picture frame around me. And that's Johnny Carson sitting there talking to me. I thought, you know, I can't tell you, that's one of the pinnacles of thinking, this is a dream, this isn't real. But I just keep wandering through this amazing, you know, these happenings. And that's how I feel about everything, even today. You know, I cannot believe, yeah. I tell you that nobody is more thrilled, excited and surprised than me about everything I'm doing. Even the fact that I get up this morning and go do this it from L.A., go do this television show in Canada with you. It, it, to me, this is amazing. This is everything. I'm still really stuck in my in my 10 year old self going, really, really? I'm on TV. People want me to people want to see me. People want to talk to me. There's somebody who's interested in anything that I have to say or to watch a television program that I'm in. I mean, Nobody inside. I'm constantly, even though I'm talking to you, inside my my uh, my my uh, my verbiage is is just wow, wow. This is crazy. Yeah. This uh, doesn't feel like a job. Well, it doesn't feel like a career. It's uh, amazing. I feel like really blessed. Right now, this doesn't feel like a job to me. This feels like me talking to Howie Mandel and talking about the fact that you were on Johnny Carson 21 times. There, there's there's so many people that you have been attached to, like Gene Simmons. That Gene Simmons story uh, in the documentary, do you, do you mind sharing that with everybody? Gene Simmons Yeah, no Kiss. problem. I did the Merv Griffin show, as you alluded to, and then I got a call 
right after I did. You know, at that time when I was doing the Mer Griffin show, I was still commuting back and forth to Toronto. I had a day job. And then, you know, because I had done Make Me Laugh, wow. these talk shows saw me and the Merv Griffin yeah. show saw me and asked me to, to be on. And the day after that aired, I get a call in Toronto from Gene Simmons. He says he's Gene Simmons. And at that time, it was the pinnacle of Kiss's success, the, the rock band Kiss, Gene Simmons, the guy with the tongue. Yeah. He called me and I go, oh, my God. He goes, I saw you on Merv yesterday. I mean, how unbelievable is that? Again. Another goofball from Toronto. I'm getting called by the biggest at the at that moment. One of the biggest rock stars in the world is phoning me. Did you Toronto. believe it was him, Howie? No. Did you believe no. that it was him on the phone? No, no. He said how, it's Gene Simmons, and I go, how, "What is this?" How concern? did you know it wasn't a joke? I thought it was. I thought it was. And then he said, "I uh, saw you on Merv," and I said, "Thank you." And I wasn't, you yeah. know, I didn't have like a fan base or anything really yet. And so getting these calls, right. you know, even if it was a prank call, yeah. And what do you want? Well, we saw you, and uh, I think you're great. And are you working in the next few weeks? I go, "Well, I have a job. I'm working. You know, I'm doing something in Toronto." He goes, "No, are you touring? Are you?" I go, "I don't tour. I I, I go to Yorkdale if that's a tour." you know, and shop, but I, I don't do her. He goes, well, I would like you uh, to open up for my girlfriend. I want you to, to be my girlfriend's opening act. And I'm going, like, I don't even know what that means. I don't know who his girlfriend is. I don't know what the, uh, where she's playing. So I go, do, do I know your girlfriend? He goes, I don't know, but I want you to, who's your girlfriend? My girlfriend is Diana Ross. Gene Simmons was living with Diana Ross at the time. She was playing right. at Caesar's Palace, right. and he hired me to be her opening act at Caesar's Palace, which, again, another, like, <laughs> dream moment, which actually didn't go really yeah. well. She loved me, but every night the audience yeah. hated me. L listen, I was, a, the lights would go down and the crowd would roar, ladies and gentlemen, Caesar's Palace is proud to present an evening of Diana Ross, and you could, it was like, ah, it was like these huge like oh, a stadium roar and and if you listened really closely but first her opening act howie mandel and i'd walk out nobody knew me you know i think gene right. was the only guy that saw me on merv griffin so th they weren't thrilled to see me and they had to wait through this horror show sometimes the room was people who didn't even speak english she was an international star sony japan once right. rented out the room and i'm standing there with a glove on my head in complete silence it was like a horror show but it was Diana Ross. She called me into the office after the into her dressing room after the first week, and I thought I'm being fired. Yay, I'm being fired because this is this is a yeah. nightmare for me each and every night to have this hatred. And she said, "You're so funny. I would like to hold you over for another two weeks." I'm oh my god. <laughs> she was my biggest fan, and we're still friends. I just went to her 75th birthday. Uh, you know? It's oh, that's just, amazing. It's pretty, yeah. So I got to meet and work with people that I would never even dream that I would meet, let alone work with. Yeah, I thought about the comedy store, like Letterman. Um, Letterman was the, was the MC. Prior, I saw it prior every night. I watched him work out live on the Sunset Strip. You know, I watched him work out. That was a for those that don't know. That was a, a big uh, comedy film in the seventies or early eighties. He did live on the Sunset Strip. To me, it's the pinnacle of you know success it is the the one if you're ever going to watch one comedy concert watch richard pryor he was the first one that kind of opened my eyes to the fact that he was real you know everything he was talking about on stage is real and tragic you know whether it be his drug addiction mm -hmm. or uh relationships mm -hmm. breaking apart or just 
but he was able to take those stories and those real characters and make a, you know, a, a white kid from Toronto kind of engage and laugh and relate. And, you know, growing up in, in the States and being raised in a, in a brothel by your grandmother is so far from anything that even resembles anything that I went through. Yet that's the genius that was Richard Pryor. David Letterman was the MC, you know, he was not known, but he would go on every night. In fact, when he came to Toronto just to do stand up, I I was his opening act because we had met there, you know, um, everybody who is, you know, anybody was there, you know, and even if I didn't know it at that point, who they were, you know, David Letterman became David Letterman. I knew Dave and watched him every night, introduced me and put me up on stage, but he wasn't known. You know, it's just so weird to see where this has come, where who, what these people did with their careers and lives and the fact that a lot of them are still around today and be, have become household names. Yeah. And, and backstage with them, uh, I'm sure you learned a lot from them on uh, like some people took a lot of notes. Uh, some people, I mean, uh, some people I know that didn't even talk to one another. They just were in their own zone. What an experience for for you. That, that's amazing. Yeah, the, the whole thing was an experience. Just getting into this uh, business at, at uh, Yuck Yucks was an experience. You know, I didn't think it. I didn't think it was going to lead to anything. I didn't aspire to make a living at comedy. The best case scenario for me once I went on at Yuck Yucks was that, you know, uh, and he did. Mark asked me back and I'd have this weird club yeah. of ne'er-do-wells to, you know, show up to and converse each and every week. I didn't have friends, but going yuck, yuck. You know, I didn't play sports. I didn't gamble. I didn't dance. I didn't go to discos. So to just go hang out at yuck, yucks with a bunch of people who were acting silly and eating gingerbread men and, and, you know, getting free food was like, uh, that was, if it never went any further than that, I promise you, I would be happy. That was amazing. That's amazing. Now television, there's so much to talk about television. But I want to talk about um, game shows and um, how did you get into that kind of uh, arena of, of television? Because you've done so much. Well, I did, you know, it, it, but around 2005, I was on my way out of show business. You know, I had, uh, you know, had a, a fair amount of success and, you know, from television to mm-hmm. film to, you know, stand up comedy. But in, in to be honest, you know, my career was waning. I wasn't selling a lot of tickets live. Um, I wasn't being asked to show up and do television shows. I was sitting in in uh, casting offices in the hallway on folding chairs with other unknown actors uh, auditioning for five lines and under on shows, you know, and, and just years before I had been on St. Elsewhere, I was on a, so it was kind of waning and it was getting, it was yeah. difficult. It was getting a little bit difficult. I was entering my, my fifties and I said, you know what? I, I don't need the money. I don't need more notoriety. I'm out of here. And then I get a call saying that NBC is doing a game show and they want you to be the host. And I, I hung up the phone. I was kind of insulted. And that's, you got to put yourself in the perspective of 2005 and 2005, no comedian. No comedian hosted a game show. You know, it, it really, there wasn't. And the one who had done it previously was Groucho Marx, who did Your Bet Your Life. And when you're trading in the currency wow. of irony, like a stand-up comic, the, the, the game show host was kind of the punchline, not to take anything away. I love game show hosts, and, I, and it is a skill that I've learned, you know, but I, I didn't want to be a mm-hmm. game show. I didn't want to go out of my career being a game show. So I said, no, 
then they called me back and they said, there's never going to be anything bigger than this that you will see in your career up until now. NBC is now giving, they're going to give five primetime nights of primetime television to this game. They're going to launch, which is huge all over the world. Can we just show it to you? And they showed it to me on at a, a, a table at, at a, in a deli. It's nothing. There's no trivia. There's no skill. We're just going to spend an hour opening up cases. I went, no way. It's the only thing I've ever said no to. I went home and I told my wife and she said, you're an idiot. Take the deal. You need to do it. You need to just get out there and work. That's what makes you happy. That's what you need. So I took the deal on a Friday and I said, I'll do it. They had told me they couldn't do it with anybody but me. I was perfect for the show. And I said, yeah, when does it start? They said, Monday. I go, well, don't you have to build a set? They go, we built it. I go, don't you need 26 models? They said, we already have them. So you can think how far down the rung was I? How many people had said no that they were getting me on a Friday at four o'clock for a show that was taping on Monday? Anyway, I tried to prepare to be, I hired my uh, comedy friends to write me comedy. And I thought at least I'll do Mm -hmm. something that can maybe be noticed in primetime NBC. And I walked out there the first moment I met the first contestant, Karen Van. I talk about this in the in the documentary. And she's yeah, real. Yeah, she's a yeah. real human being with kids. And first and foremost, I'm a human being. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I threw all my comedy by the wayside. And I just wanted her to win. I just wanted her to change her life. I just, the empathy became yes. my fuel. And that's even yeah. what, why I changed my mm-hmm. cadence. You know, when there was an offer, she lived in the middle of America. The offer was $25,000. I'm talking to her like I would talk to my five-year-old. You know, do you hear me? Because there's a glaze over people's faces when they're not in show business and they show right. up on a on a set. I just wanted her to win, and and she did okay and won. And I taped these five shows. I was so embarrassed. It was the first time I was ever on television, not doing stand-up comedy, not uh, doing lines uh, like I did on St. Elsewhere or in a movie, not doing a funny voice like I did on Bobby's World. I was just like naked me. And I got into, uh, I, I went and bought tickets and my wife and I flew off to someplace in the Caribbean that didn't have TV that I would have. No, because I was good, I was about to be, you know, humiliated nationally, internationally humiliated. And again, nobody was more surprised than me when I got a call the second day it aired saying this went through the roof. The ratings were... a amazing and i came back and i've never had more success than deal or no deal that brought all the bobby's world people to the saint elsewhere people to the stand-up people that brought them all together and from that time on you know they called the next call i think that was made in the industry was jeff foxworthy to um host are you smarter than a fifth grader and then louis anderson and Mm -hmm. bob saget and all these other comedians and you're welcome steve harvey you know uh now it's just normal (laughs) hosting game shows I love that. Hey, I got to talk to you about the great success of America's Got Talent. How great. It is great. You know, and, uh, it was it, it was a, it is an amazing show. Again, I feel like very lucky to be part of it. But especially this year, we uh, as a group of people in production went through the COVID-19 together from we started the show normally uh, with a brand new uh, host of Sofia Vergara. And I said, isn't this great? 10 days later, boom, we're not allowed to have an audience. And I go, well, this is weird. And then we lost, uh, Heidi got sick. As it turned out, it wasn't COVID and she was gone. And this is weird. And then it's down to three of us and people are showing up on this cavernous theater stage with no audience. Hence my golden buzzer, Brandon Leak. I've never listened to spoken word before in my life, but you know, I think it was the timing and everything. He he auditioned for the show in 2017 and was turned down. 
I think, uh, you know, the great things are well worth waiting for. This was his year. He spoke to what's going on in the news, what's going on in our lives and what's going on with him. And America responded. And we have the first spoken word artist ever on the show to get a golden buzzer and to win the million dollars. I'm, I'm so proud of him and so proud of and But it, it was, was a crazy year. My friend Simon Cowell, who I talked to and I'll, I'll yeah. see him next week, is recovering from a, you know, horrible he broke his back in four different places and six hour yeah. surgery and a pull in his back. I mean, I don't want to say this and people got to stop saying it. Don't say what more can happen because more can happen and is happening. So we should just shh and not jinx it and kind of sneak our way into 2021. All right. TikTok star over 8 million people. 8 million yeah, I followers. Have, uh, I have uh, eight. eight I have over 8 million followers on TikTok and that's where I go to dance. That's like my dance pasture. I love dancing. And people know, people who know me and have followed me from the beginning know that dancing is, I think the name Howie Mandel is synonymous with dance and always has been. And hence on TikTok, I've garnered (laughs) 8 million loyal followers of my dancing who sometimes interpret my dance as a call for help. Yeah. Okay. You know, you are the perfect, like I, social media, like I follow you on Twitter too, is, is just made for you. It's just perfect for you. Why, why does it resonate so well with you? I'm fascinated by the fact that you can engage and talk to so many people immediately. And now more than ever, you know, I needed to engage because we're all in this kind of isolation Um, I I just find it fascinating. I'm, I'm, you know, uh, again, as I've, you know, become a little, uh, looking at myself in retrospect, you know, the other thing that kind of drives me besides, you know, it's fear and curiosity, you know, I'm so Mm -hmm. curious, you know, I always, and, and that kind of like opens me up and I can talk to the world in a moment and, and, and get a real live you know, gauge as to how people are responding, what they're responding to, um, what they want to see, and the fact that uh, in real time they can engage with me and get me to do things and say things and ask me questions. It's a, it's a real powerful, scary, wonderful medium that I am so engaged with. And there isn't a day that goes by when I'm not posting, and whether it be TikTok, Instagram, you know, uh, Twitter, whatever you know, Twitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on them all and I'm fascinated by, you know, just engagement. I just want to be part of this world and I just want to be engaged in all these places, whether it's your show, whether it's TikTok, you know, are these little parties yeah. that I attend throughout the day. Well, listen, your documentary, How I Mandel, But Enough About Me, premieres on Thanksgiving Monday, October 12th at 9 p.m. Eastern on CTV. By the way, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Canadian Thanksgiving, Howie Mandel. Thank you. And also, people should also uh, kind of engage with, you know, I'm, I'm one of the guys involved in Just for Laughs, the biggest comedy festival in the world, which usually takes yes. place in Toronto and Montreal in July. But right. now it's all digital. It's this year because of what we're all going through. But we have an amazing lineup right. with Kevin Hart, me, and... Chelsea Handler and all that. And you can watch that online and be part of the festival. Just go to uh, JFL.com okay. and you'll see. Okay. All right. It, uh, wanna, I want to also say this to you. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I want everyone to know too, that this documentary will begin streaming on Crave Tuesday, October 13th. Um, it's an excellent documentary. Um, 
you're an excellent human being. Uh, you're so, um, uh, you're so giving and, uh, we appreciate everything that you do, uh, for us, make us laugh. And also, uh, when we talk about mental health issues, you're very helpful with that too. So thank you, Howie Mandel. Thank you. Thank you. It's always stay healthy, stay safe, everybody. And, uh, I love Canada. Canada loves you. Marilyn Dennis does a podcast. New episodes every week. You can download or subscribe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 